Uh, there's a cute little joke about a fellow who is in a park and he's relaxed under a tree and he, uh, he decides to make a conversation with God. He's having a kind of philosophical moment and he says to God, God, in, in your eyes, how long is a thousand years? God says, in my eyes, a thousand years is just one minute. Says, oh, says God, in your eyes, how much is $10 million? Says, from my perspective, $10 million is one penny. He said, so God, could I ask you for just a penny? And God said, sure, in one minute. Because yeah. God's perspective of one minute is a couple thousand years. I want to talk a little bit about our perspective, God's perspective, because God's perspective on us is that the Jewish people are one, one person. And that each and every one of us is a cell in that person. And... Uh, and that's a very different kind of attitude than a lot of people have. A lot of people think that you have individuals and the individuals come together and create a community and, uh, and, and the community comes together and makes a nation. Rather, the Jewish people have one soul and each and every one of us is part of that one soul. And what separates us is our body. Uh, but if it wouldn't be for our bodies, we'd realize that we are actually one self and at this moment, I'm just speaking to myself. And at this moment, you're just speaking, you're just listening to yourself. And uh, what I want to share with you is uh, a kind of lifestyle that one should aspire to based on this perspective. And the reason why I want to share this now is because uh, this war is demonstrating um, extraordinary bravery amongst our soldiers that are demonstrating the truth how the individual experiences himself as a part of the collective. So much so that they're willing to die for the Jewish people. And that's pretty amazing. And this is not just simply people that are religious. They're, I mean, I don't like the word religious because there are people that maybe don't put on a kippah and wear tzitzit, and, uh, but, they, but they don't wear any of the outside trimmings, but they're profoundly religious. And you could have people that have the outside trimmings and they're not religious. So I'd rather stay away from that word, actually. But the people who have a deep sense of this truth of how the Jewish people are one soul, one person, and what gives these young soldiers this incredible clarity that they're willing to die for the Jewish people. And that's really extraordinary. So I'm going to share with you some text. It's Hebrew. <coughs> I'll translate it and then you know, uh, and we'll, we'll chat about it. And this is from a, uh, a book from Rabbi Cook, Rabbi Abraham Isaac Cook. Could you make it a little bigger? Uh, can I make it bigger? Yeah, the, 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 the front. You, 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 would, you would think that I, I have that technical uh, capacity. <laughs> Let's see if I can make it bigger. There's a little plus sign somewhere. I'm looking for the plus. Oh, maybe this is it. Wait, 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 wait. Plus sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see it. I see it. How about that? Hey, how's that? No. Yeah, there it goes. Good. Yeah, yeah, Good. yeah. I have a, I have a career in uh, computer science, maybe. <laughs> uh, not too much, too much. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Here you go. That's good. You all see that? 
Yes. Yeah, well, thank you for asking me to uh, to uh, expand that. I appreciate that. Uh, Rev Cook is explaining. I'm, I'm going to do this in Hebrew, but I'll read a little bit and explain. Adam atamid mi a person has to liberate themselves to me uh, constantly from the frame of reference of their particularity. Most people are stuck in their me, and their life is all about me and what's good for me. And actually, the truth is that when a person is stuck in the me, I call that miserable. You will not be a happy person. You will be a miserable person. But when a person gets out of the me and sees themselves within the context of a greater we, that's the true identity of who you are. You are part of a greater self. You are part of a greater reality. You are part of a greater soul. And a person needs to constantly liberate themselves from this small-mindedness that only sees things through their myopic, and again, you got that word my, that myopic way of thinking that it's all about what's mine, and it's all about me. And, and, and again, within the context of what we're witnessing here amongst the Jewish people, the extraordinary bravery and willingness for a person to give up their lives, but you know, it's, it's one thing, and, and it's incredibly admirable of a, a young soldier who's 18 or 19 or 20, but you have soldiers that have risked their lives and actually have given their lives to the Jewish people. They're married, they have six, seven children. And yet what gives them the strength to be willing to sacrifice their life? They don't feel they're sacrificing their life. That's like if my finger was given the choice to die for my body or let my body die. My finger would say, what are you talking about? If, my, if the body dies, I'm done. Because if you happen to notice, notice a finger on the street, that's not a finger. That was a finger. But if it's disconnected from a body, it's dead. You know, it's not alive anymore. You know, my son, who uh, teaches at the yeshiva, he's one of the mashkichim, he put a vase of flowers on a table and he asked some students, tell me what's your first association? What do you see there? So one said shape and another said color. Another said, you know, beauty. And he said, you know what I see? Death. And they were taken aback by that. What do you mean? These are beautiful flowers. He said, yeah, but they're cut off from the ground. So they're really dead, even though they're beautiful and they're shapely and they're fragrant. But the truth is, in essence, they're dead. When we disconnect ourselves from our people, we're like a limb being ripped off from the body. And a person has to constantly remind themselves, who am I and what really matters? He says, a person is stuck in this small mindedness of me that just fills his entire being. To the point that all he thinks about is his own fate. All he thinks about is himself. What will be with me? What will happen to me? You know, how will I benefit? What's in it for me? You know, they say in marketing, the first question that everybody's going to ask about your problem, problem uh, your product, and, and every advertisement has to address this question. Because the question of all consumers is, what's in it for me? And Rav Cook is teaching us that as a Jew, we should always ask, what's in it for us? Because it's about us. 
And there is no me that's separated from and, 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 and self-contained and disconnected from the greater us. When a person all they think about is themselves and what's going to be with themselves, then that brings them to a real small-mindedness. And this causes them endless pain, physical and spiritual pain. That is generated by this. Now, this is pretty amazing. Of Cook says that when a person is self-absorbed and only thinks about me and what's good for me and what's going to be with me, then this brings them to such a small-mindedness, which generates literally pain. Now, spiritual pain we can understand because if we're, t- if we're taught that we as souls are part of a greater soul called the Jewish people, then living a life that betrays who you are is going to cause you a a spiritual pain, but Rav Cook is saying it's actually going to cause you physical pain because your body is dependent on your soul for its health. And if you as a soul are not a healthy soul and a healthy Jewish soul is a soul that identifies with the entire Jewish people and lives in the name of, in the interest of, for the sake of the entire Jewish people. And just as my finger is unique, but it has no future set apart from the rest of the body. And therefore, my finger cares about the entire body, right? And, uh, and, and, and that's in its own interest. In its own interest, the me has to care about the we. So if Cook continues, A person has to always think and want. They should always be anchored in what's good for the collective. Even the Hebrew word kolalut has the word collective in it. I'm always thinking about the collective. How is this in the best interest of the collective? Like kolalut akol, to the collective of all, the whole world, all of mankind, the Jewish people, the universe. That's what should be on my mind. Not me, but us, but not just the little us, my family. Not just the greater us, my community, not just my country, not just my continent, but a person should always think, how can I contribute to the world? Because that's who you are. You are part of the world. And when you separate yourself from the part of the world, you forget that that's what we're here for. We're here for each other. Who are we here for? A person who anchors themselves in the collective consciousness and lives their life always thinking, how can I contribute to the greater whole? Their individuality will be established. It's not like you're going to give up yourself because you're in the interest of and you're living for the greater we. The greater we becomes the context for, the basis for, the very soul and and life force of your sense of self. You have a whole new sense of self. You know, my finger as part of a body is an extension of a body. And it finds itself as part of the body. You know, I heard a story about a soldier who, uh, whose, whose uh, friend came into the barracks with new, new army boots. So they were very impressive new army boots. So he said, hey, where'd you get those? He said, I, well, I just went to the army supply and the guy gave me new boots. He said, well, I want new boots too. So he goes to the he goes to the supplier. He says, "I'd like a pair of new boots." He says, "Sorry, I'm sorry. You, you, you ran out of boots." No, 
What do you mean, sorry? My friend was just here half an hour ago. You just gave him new boots. You, you, you finished with the boots? He said, no, I got plenty more. He said, what about what? My, my friend was just here half an hour ago. You gave him new boots. Why are you not giving me new boots? He says, your friend is very different than you. You came in and said, I need new boots. Your friend came in and said, the Jewish people need me to have new boots. So I didn't give him new boots. I gave the Jewish people new boots. Do you get the point? The point is, who are you? And Judaism says that a Jewish person is a limb in the body of the entire Jewish people. And we pulsate together. It's something that I felt as a young child. Even though I didn't grow up religious, I, you know, I don't like that word, but we didn't grow up with Shabbat. We didn't grow up with kosher. We didn't, we didn't really practice much. I knew I was Jewish because I always felt guilty. So I, I knew I must be Jewish. But other than that, uh, you know, there, you know, my parents spoke Yiddish. I'm a son of a survivor, so you can't not be Jewish. But there's something about my sense of connection to the Jewish people. I felt I was part of a peoplehood. And even though I grew up in a non-Jewish neighborhood and I was the only non-Jew in my public school and I was beat up for I was beat up because I was Jewish. They, they beat me up because I killed Jesus and I told them I. I never played with the kid. I don't even know him, you know? So I don't know. They beat me up for killing Jesus. But, uh, but deep in my soul, I knew I was part of the Jewish people. And, uh, and, 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 I, and I struggled for a long time. What does that mean? And how does one live their life as a member of the Jewish people? But, you know, there's a story about a fellow who was struggling, whether he loves the Jewish people or he loves Torah more. What do you love more? the Jewish people, or do you love Torah more? And he uh, happened to meet Eliyahu Navi, the prophet Eliyahu happened to be walking down the street. Happens to me all the time. He's walking down the street. He sees Eliyahu Navi, the prophet Eliyahu. He says, I'm struggling. I love the Jewish people. I love the Torah, but I don't know which I should love first. Which love should come first? And the prophet Eliyahu said, your love for the Jewish people. Because if you love the Jewish people, you will love Torah because you will understand that Torah is the way to be the Jewish people. And I think that's a very, very profound thing to understand. And we actually say it in the bracha, in the blessing that we make in the morning. You chose us from amongst the nations and then you gave us Torah. Hashem did not give the Jewish people to the Torah. Hashem gave the Torah to the Jewish people. This is who you are. Now, here is how you should think. Here is how you should speak. Here is how you should act. This is how you can be who you are. But the lifestyle of Torah is to be who we are. Who are we? We are a people. Most people don't understand this fundamental understanding of Judaism. Many of the halachot, many of Jewish laws, are in the interest of binding us together as a Jewish people to create community. And there's plenty of laws that I don't understand, you know, any philosophical idea behind it. But the fact that I know that this is how our people act, and this is how our people have acted for many, many years, that itself is very bonding. I remember when I was in the army, I didn't want to be part of a uh, religious, again, that word again, a religious unit, because I was in the army to meet the entire Jewish people. And I meet religious people all the time where I live. So I intentionally got myself into a unit where there was almost nobody else there with a kippah on. 
And uh, so, um, so uh, one day the sergeant, uh, the sergeant is giving us a talk on the army and the rules of the army. And um, before he gives the talk, one of the guys say, can I, can I ask a question that's not related? And he said, yeah, sure, you know, before we start. So how come the, the religious units go into the dining room before everybody else? Like we're all standing outside the dining room, you know, in rows. And the religious guys are always going first. How come they go in first? So the sergeants say, oh, they've got these crazy laws. They, they wash their hands and they're not allowed to have a break between the washing of their hands and the blessing they make of the bread. They got all these crazy details, ah, you know, so we're just, you know, we're just forgiving to them and we let them go in first. So but let's not talk about them. Let's talk about the army. I want you to know the army has a book of rules this thick. It goes like this is that, this thick. And there's rules in there that won't make any sense. For instance, you can't wear a ring in the army. For instance, a girl can't have her hair undone. It's got to be either in a ponytail or in a pigtail or in a bun. Can't be out. And he starts giving us these random details of, of the laws of the army that really don't seem to make any sense. And he says, you know what? None of this makes any sense, but that's how you create an army. The fact that we are all adhering to the same code of law is what turns us into a bunch of people into one hand. I, I said to myself, this is one of the best classes I've ever heard on the meaning of Jewish law, even though he was ridiculing Jewish law before. But the power of Jewish law, where we are doing it together, this is how we wash our hands. This is how we get up in the morning. These are the blessings that we make. So much of this is in the interest of uniting the individual and anchoring the individual within the context of a greater whole called the Jewish people, which is a unit unto itself, you know, a unit into itself. So if Cook is saying that when a person gives themselves over to the Klali, the Klau, the united Jewish people, the, the collective soul of the Jewish people, that actually establishes and that actually reinforces and that actually gives tremendous life force to the individual because now you're a player on a big team. You're not a soloist. You're a player on a big team. You know, it's like a guy who's a tuba player and he doesn't want to be part of a symphony. I'm going to be a solo tuba player. I'm going to make it. I know nobody's made it until now, but I'm going to make it. I'm going to be the most famous solo tuba player in the world. What's a tuba player without a symphony? So too, what is a Jew without the Jewish people? And this is a very important idea in Jewish education. We have to, we have to teach our children about the Jewish people. And then the living of the Jewish life will come natural because it's about the Jewish people. If this is the team I belong to, then this is the team shirt, this is the team hat, this is what the team eats, because I'm part of the team. And um, I don't know if this is true, but I read an article about a fellow that did research on people that became religious and then left it, you know, left it. And he's trying to understand, is there, can, can he identify a kind of um, a, a common thread? What, what is it about these people? Because they just left it completely. It's not like they lived an orthodox life and they decided to become conservative or they decided to come reform. He found that a lot of Balei Chuva, a lot of kind of nouveau religious people, when they get dis disenchanted with religion, they just dump it at all and have nothing to do with Jew Jewish people. And uh, so he did research and he, he believed that this is a theory and it, it doesn't matter if it's really true or not, 
for me, it's helping describe a point. He found that when yeshivot introduced people to Judaism from the standpoint of this is the truth of God. This is the path that you as a Jew connect to God and, and, and earn yourself a world to come or earn yourself a better life in this world. But it has nothing to do with the Jewish people. Well, so when they are disenchanted with the lifestyle, they don't go to another lifestyle because it's not their, their religious life is not anchored in the Jewish people. It's anchored in Jewish law and Jewish ritual. But if a person is introduced to Judaism as this is your people, this is who you're a part of. And then this is how we play the game. This is how we live our lives. I remember I asked my Rebbe, Rav Shlomo Fischer, one of the great sages of this generation, he passed away a number of years ago. And I asked him, and he grew up in Mea Shari. You know, he grew up in, you know, what they call ultra-Orthodox, you know, community. And I asked him, what does the rabbi think is the best way to reach the Jewish people and bring them back to Judaism? Well, it was a couple of days just before Jerusalem Day. And one of the, you know, one of the beautiful things on Jerusalem Day is people dance in the street and, and march to the old city, to the Kotel, thousands of people through the new city to the old city, dancing and singing. He said to me, the best way to reach a Jew is take them to the streets of Jerusalem, let them dance with the Jewish people. He didn't say, let them learn a, a, a blot of Gomorrah or give them a philosophical class or prove to them that the Torah was given by God. He said, take them to the street to dance with the Jewish people. Because if you dance with the Jewish people and you, and you realize that you are really a fiber in the fabric of the Jewish people, not just in this generation, but for many generations before and endlessly onward, then you say, okay, so how does a Jewish per person live their life? So he says in number two, and I'm going to have time for questions soon. The more your collective awareness, the more you are mindful of yourself as part of the collective, is stronger. You'll be a happier person. The more you have this mindfulness of yourself as a cell, as a fiber of the greater fabric of the entire Jewish people, you will be a happier person. And such a person will merit the light of God. They will be enlightened with the divine light. Because the name of God, the full name of God, rests on a complete world. What is Rav Cook talking about? First of all, let's talk about happiness. As I mentioned before, the secret to being miserable is being miserable. And when a person is stuck in the me, and it's all about me and what's in it for me and how's it going to help me. And it's not about us. That makes a person miserable. And why should that make a person miserable? Because you know what makes us happy when we're being who we are. Like right now, I'm really enjoying this. I don't know if you are, but that's your problem. <laughs> in the meantime, I'm enjoying teaching. Why? Because that's who I am. It's my soul. I just I love to teach. I love to share, you know. And, uh, and just being who I want to be, uh, who I am. This is who I am. And when a person is living their true self, they feel happy. But who is the true self? Not the me that's stuck in your little body that's set aside from and disconnected from a greater whole. That's not the real you. That's like my finger trying to find a career in pointing without my body. So say, you know what? I'm going to get my PhD in pointing. 
and I'm going to show people the way. And I don't need a hand. I don't need an arm. I, you're, you're annoying me. I got to go and pursue myself and, and let people understand. And I'm going to make a point in this world. No, no, you're nothing. Because without a hand, without an arm, without a body, you're zero. And so the true joy is when you find yourself within the context of the greater self of the Jewish people who find themselves within the greater self of mankind, who finds themselves in the greater truth of God as the context of ourselves. How does a person get enlightened by the light of God? It's through connecting to the Jewish people. You can't get to God without the Jewish people. Just like my hand can't tap into blood flow if it's not connected to the arm. If you want the flow of the presence of God into you, then you got to be connected to the greater collective ent uh, uh, entity, the Jewish people, mankind. But if you set yourself off and say, I'm looking for God, I'm going to go to a mountain and I'm just going to meditate. And I don't want anything to do with all those low life people. It's just me and God. We're going to elope. You'll never get to God that way. You're never going to get to God that way. And so, um, you know, I heard a, 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 a funny story, kind of sad also, from a man named Ramdas. Ramdas in the 60s wrote a book called Be Here Now. He was a Harvard professor. His name was Richard Alpert. He was a Jewish guy. He went searching for enlightenment and he went to the East and he went as Richard Alpert or his Hebrew name was, was Ruven Chaim. And he comes back, Ramdas, wearing pink robes. Maybe some of you uh, might remember who he was. And um, so he says an amazing story. Someone asks him, you know, what about, you know, what about these Eastern teachings that brought you to them? Like, what did you find? And he said, well, I climbed up the highest mountains to reach the greatest gurus. And I asked them, what is the secret to enlightenment? And it could take weeks to get to these 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 great these great lights so i get to this guru and i say what's the way to enlightenment and he said serve people feed people and i was very put off i couldn't believe that he was fluffing me off he didn't want to tell me the secrets i said listen i'm ready to fast i i'm, I'm ready to lie on a bed of nails i'm ready to meditate for 10 hours what's the secret to enlightenment and he said serve people feed people he was very just very upset Okay, so he went looking for another guru and he climbed the mountain where guru is up there in isolation. And he says, what is the secret to enlightenment? And he can't believe his ears. This guru says, serve people, feed people. He says, what is this, a union? You can't get in. How do I get the secrets? I told you, I'm ready to fast. I'm ready to do anything, you know, anything. I'm, I'm ready to bathe in ice water, whatever it takes to enlightenment, you know, to transcend myself and reach nirvana. What do I need to do? And he realized after meeting many, many of these great gurus that the secret and the path to enlightenment and the presence of God in your life is to serve people, feed people. And it so saddened me because poor Richard Alpert didn't read that as the story of Abraham. Abraham is a man who's waiting at the door of his tent after his circumcision. What hurt him more than the circumcision was not being able to usher in people and serve people and feed people. How does a person get to God through people, by serving people, by feeding people, by realizing that we are one and there is nobody else. There's just a oneness 
and the individual can only find themselves as an individual within the context of this oneness. And so I want to um, jump down here to something from Viktor Frankl. The real aim of human existence cannot be found in what's called self-actualization. Mistake. People are really into the self. Self act. I want to actualize myself. Human existence is essentially self-transcendence rather than self-actualization. Self-transcendence is get out of the me and live your life in the interest of and in the service of the we. That's what it's about. It's called love. Love is so fulfilling because I get out of me. I get out of the me. And this is what he's telling us. It is about self-transcendence, which is what Judaism is about. Judaism is not about self-actualization. It's about self-transcendence, which itself is self-actualization. Self-actualization is not a possible aim at all. For the simple reason that the more a person would strive for it, the more they would miss it. Because, because the true self is part of a greater self. So if I'm trying to actualize the little me, I'm losing who I really am. That's like my finger trying to actualize itself and has no interest in the rest of the body. I just want to be a self-actualized finger. That's insane. For only to the extent to which people commit themselves to the fulfillment of their life's meaning, to the extent they actualize themselves. What is your life's meaning? What gives a word meaning? The most meaningless place for a word is a dictionary. If you were a word, you wouldn't want to be in a dictionary because the only connection you have with the word before you and the word after you is the same first letter. But we don't tell a story together. We don't work together. We have nothing to do with each other. We don't help each other. So the worst place for a word to be, if it was self-aware, it would be miserable in a dictionary. A word wants to be in a story. A word wants to be in a sentence, and a sentence wants to be in a paragraph, and a paragraph wants to be in a chapter, and a chapter wants to be in a book, and a book wants to be part of a series. And that's where that little word is going to find its meaning, because meaning is when you get beyond your little self and you become part of a greater context. And that context give you, gives your life meaning. And so if you're a ball and you're in a sentence that Joey sneezed the ball, that's not the sentence you want to be in because Joey doesn't sneeze balls unless he has a serious problem with his nose. You want to be part of something related to hockey or something or, or soccer or something like that. You want to be in the right sentence. And so, too, we need to understand that self-actualization is a, a total misunderstanding. It's about me optimizing me, maximizing me. That's the most minimalizing way you could go because the real way you find yourself is beyond yourself, outside of yourself, part of a greater we. And this, with this, I will, I will end. You know, one of the most powerful spiritual experiences I had was when I was a teenager. I went to rock concerts and I loved rock concerts. I love rock and roll. And I remember the first rock concert I was at, suddenly I turned around and I saw thousands of people in the stadium holding a match. I'd never seen this ritual before. So, but I didn't have a match. I turned to people, you have a match, you have a match, you have a match. Finally, I got a match and I was so, I was so delighted. I, I lit my match. Today, people take out their cell phones. You know, that's not, that's not, uh, that's, you know, 
reform rock and roll. <laughs> I was part of the Alta Rockers. You know, we, we, we would actually light a match. You know, we would light a match. And, uh, and I would wait for that moment when thousands of people would light that match. And I didn't know what it was about it, but it was something that I just cherished. I just cherished that moment, that few moments where we were all holding our thousands of matches. But then uh, I was invited to a Shabbat experience with the organization NCSY. I'd never done this before. I never did Shabbat before. And they put in front of us this long table with hundreds of candles. And everybody started singing and dancing in front of this candle, preparing ourselves for Shabbat. And then we all lit our candles. And I thought, you know, I've never done this before, but this feels so familiar. And then I realized that the whole time I was at these rock concerts, I was looking for Shabbat. I was looking for Shabbat at a Black Sabbath concert. That's what I was doing because I wanted to be part of a greater whole. And that's when you become holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, to become part of a greater whole where the self sees itself as part of a greater self that it shares with his people and the people see themselves as a greater self, what they share with mankind and mankind sees themselves as a greater self as part of the great self God. And that's when you find yourself, when you get out of yourself, that is actually gonna be where you really find yourself. And so that's the meaning of your life. In other words, Frankl says, Self-actualization cannot be attained if it is made an end in itself. If it's all about me, I'm the be-all and the end-all, that is the end-all of my life. But only as a side effect of self-transcendence. When I give myself to others, I actually find myself. And that is what these great soldiers are demonstrating in the most extraordinary way People are willing to give their lives to the Jewish people. That's incredible. That's just incredible. And where do they find the power to do it? It's because they're selfish, but wholly selfish. They know who they are. They're part of the Jewish people. And if the Jewish people go down, I go down with them. And so it's a matter of self-survival to give myself over to the very context of my being, the very soul of my life. That's what I wanted to share. I'd be happy to hear your comments or questions. Just have to unmute yourselves. Any questions or comments? I know everybody's always uncomfortable with the first question. So we'll start with the second question. And please introduce yourself, how we know each other or what, what connection. We don't have to know each other. We're, we're part of the same soul, but just in case we do. Hey, Rabbi. Yes, who's Rabbi, speaking? Michael, Michael Sosby. Hey, Michael. Wow. What a, what a, wow. And I'm taking a walk with you in an amazing place. Thank you. Right, so I just, want, I just wanted to tell oh, you how important. Screen share in the background. That's really good. I'm on lovely Lake Merritt in Oakland. And I just wanted to tell you how important this share is for me this morning because as I walk around the lake, it is plastered with really nice paintings, but they say things like free Palestine, love Hamas, kill Bibi. And I'm just, I'm envious of you being there in Israel. And I just want to thank you for being there and for pointing out to us all how important Paul yeah. Israel is. So thank it's you so much sad for that. how un 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 uneducated people are 
And it's very sad how old anti-Semitism is. You'd think people would grow up, you know, <laughs> by now they get that we're a good people. And we, you know, there is a, it's very, very sad, but there's a woman named Levinson whose husband was killed in the war and, uh, and she's a widow with six children. His name was Alicia L. Levinson. And uh, she's a student of Rabbi Druckmann's She came back to Judaism through Rabbi Druckmann. And Rabbi Druckmann would say, they want to kill us because we taught them thou shalt not kill. Mm. And that's why they want to kill us. We went, right. we told the world, you know, that you can't just have fun and do whatever you feel like doing. There's a higher power and we all have to take care of each other. And there is a oneness that binds us all. And that's the presence of God. And so it's, it's, it's so incredibly sad. You know, I would think by now I was a little boy being killed for, you know, I wasn't killed, but I was being beat up for killing Jesus. And, uh, and they still hate us. You know, they still hate us. But thank you. Great to see you, Michael. So nice to hear your words. Thank you. Sure. Anybody else want to share? Yes. Abner. Hi, Rabbi. This, this is Mark Abner and my wife, Melanie. Our son, Ben, is um, Shana Aleph at Oraita having wow, an unbelievable year. shines. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the saying that. He's got a radio. Oh, that's so nice. Great, very kind. Really special boy. I love having him in my class. Thank you. Well, that's so nice to, to share that. Thank you. Um, thank you for sharing also this beautiful share. And I just wanted to share a thought. So we, we're from Colorado, and I had an opportunity on Friday to ski by myself. Um, and I was that gives me extra time to think. And I was riding up the chairlift by myself, first run of the day, and I'm passing the Aspen Grove. On, uh, on both sides of the lift, beautiful Aspen Grove. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe that the largest organism in the world is the Aspen tree or the Aspen Grove because they are all connected. Wow. If you dig underneath, the roots are all connected. So it's one organism. It's not a bunch of trees. Wow. So how appropriate that you're here this morning. And I, I was thinking this is the Jewish people. This tree is the metaphor for the Jewish people and how appropriate. Aspen Grove. I got to look it up. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, great. Thank you for sharing. I, I thought the, the timing of your share was was very uh, apropos and meaningful. So thank you for sharing. Hey, well, thank you for sharing that. That's a, that's a treasure. That's a piece of gold. That's exactly what we are. We look like we're a bunch of individuals, but deep inside, we are part of a, a united organism and we are rooted in that greater we. You know, Rabbi, your way of explaining, it brings so much clarity to my thinking and my practice. Um, I'm, I'm enchanted by your stories and the connection that you're making for us. And especially talking about the Israeli soldiers and how that really exemplifies our connection as one to Jewish people to live or die. So thank you for all you do bringing us uh, closer to who we are and who we need to be as a part of the whole. I thank you. Oh, thank so you much. so much. appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Rabbi. Yes. 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 I'm, Renee. I'm Max Goldstein's grandmother. And oh, nice. I also was part of the adult mission a year and a half ago. So oh. I thank you very, very much for bringing these powerful words to us. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Great. Thank you for joining us. Rabbi. Anybody else want to say some nice things to me? Yes, Rabbi. I would like to, I would like to, to, to Alan Wolnerman here. We've met many times. 
I'm also a son of survivors, and my son was is a ace rabbi. You know him many years ago. Everything you said today, Kanina Har is every every word is 100% right. And and those who have less Torah should appreciate what you're saying, take it to heart, recognize that the words that come from you are 100%. And uh, thank you. I look forward to learning with you when I come back to Israel every so often. Uh, I have a place now. Thank God. And uh, oh, great. Looking forward to seeing you here. I, I look forward to it. All that, and I think, I thank my friend, Michael, Michael Ackerman, for sending me the invitation a half hour before. Because we love you. I, I, print, I print out your stuff before Shabbos almost every week. And um, your, your words are kind of hard. Um, thank you. Th that's right. it. Well, thank you, Michael. That's so great. Great to see you guys, Susan and Michael. Wow. Michael and Susan and I are like brothers and sisters. We, we go way back. You know, we go way back. You know, somebody mentioned something. It's very interesting. That it's very weird that I'm the same age as old people. So I, you know, I don't know how that happened. They're all old, but I'm, I don't know how I'm the same age as them. But we're all very young souls that know each other for a very long time. I think since we were maybe negative 10 years old, something like that. Rabbi, thank you very much for today. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, we have the privilege of being uh, parents of year one, Oraita, and also yeah. retreats, and we're very, we're very blessed to uh, to call you friend and Rebbe and uh, our Rebbe, and so we no, thank no, you. Call me brother. I call you okay. I call, always, yeah. always. Okay. Yeah. I, I want okay. to ask you. We're going we're gonna to be at a wedding soon, Mr. Shemvedani. Um, I hope. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, this talk will be uh, will be posted. We'll be able to share with other people. Um, I hope so. I hope I remember to push the button that said uh, <laughs> record. Oh, you did. You did. I did. I did. I you heard you it did. said recording. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. So then it's it's there somewhere. It's I'll follow there. up. Buddy. I'll follow up. With okay. Thank you very much. Anybody Go else on. want to share? Ask some questions. Hello, Rabbi. Hey, wow, from France. We've got the whole world here. That's the great thing about Zoom. Like we're like we're all in these little boxes, but we're really part of the. It's great. Good to see you. Wow, how you doing? Always happy to hear you from Paris. Yeah, uh, I had the question. Uh, so, would you say that the um, the meaning of many mitzvot that we don't uh, easily understand is actually just to bound us together around common practices? Yeah, but I, I would just edit the word just. And whereas I believe that I believe Judaism is a science that engineers our consciousness to tune into God. And okay. there's details in there that we don't understand. But just like there's plenty of details that we don't understand in the in the world of science or in the world of engineering. But I believe that the details of halakha engineers our minds to become more tuned in to the oneness of the Jewish people and the oneness of God. So it's not like, hey, let's come up with it. You know, let's all, you know, paint our noses purple and we'll unite. You know, it's not just, they're not random, but it's important to understand that the Jewish law is, has, is, is in the interest of bonding us and, and awakening us to ourselves as part of a greater whole. And so therefore, if there are details in there that I don't understand, it doesn't bother me that I don't understand it because one thing I do understand is if this is how my people live, then this is how I want to live. And we become united in this, in this united ritual. And there's a lot of richness in those rituals. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. Great. 
And I love how you put on that French accent. That really sounds very international. <laughs> That's great. That's good. Okay. Any more questions or comments? Yeah, Sarah, Bye. great to see you. Wow. Good to see you too. Um, I missed the part on how to hear the recording. I missed the first five minutes or so of your lecture this evening. Okay, well, as, as far as I know, everybody's testifying that I did push the got it on the recording. Okay. So I, I hope uh, it was recorded. Okay, uh, who do I email to get a copy or get the link? Uh, you know, you can email to me and I'll figure it out where it is. It's probably going to be posted uh, on Araita's, uh website. But uh, okay. Sarah, be in touch with me and I'll I'll figure out where okay. it went. Miss you. Yeah, yeah. Great to see you. Thanks for joining. Anybody else have any questions or comments or shares? Hi, I, share? Yes. Hi, I'm Risa Schiff. I'm Moshe Schiff's mom um, oh. from what year, whenever he was there. And, My um, gosh, Moshe Schiff. He's a legend. Moshe Schiff, yes. Yeah, where, where is he now? Um, he's in Othnia. He's in our, um, Ariel. This year wow. he's in Ariel. He's almost finished, and then I think he's going to go back to Otniel. Um, wow. After finishes the um, lots of nafis. Amen. Thank you. And I love your message. And I wanted to just share. I think this is a really important tagline to get to all younger education and early childhood education that we are part of the Jewish people and you're here to learn then what to do, but to be proud of being part of that. That that's I that way that that's what I think needs to happen because there's such a disconnect so many times in education of why am I in yeshiva when I want to go play ball outside with everybody not. So this right. is really, um I I walk away with that and thank you. Right. One of my teachers pointed out something something very interesting. He said if you ask a Christian why do you teach your Christ, your your children Christianity, then they will most likely say because it's the truth. If you ask a Buddhist, why do you teach your children Buddhism? Most likely the answer is because I think it's the truth. But if you ask a Jewish person, why do you teach your kids Judaism? The real answer should be because they're Jewish. I believe it's true, but, but more important, this is the way they can be who they are. It's because they're Jewish. And, and that's one of the reasons we don't go around proselytizing and trying to actively you know, um, convert people because our goal is be who you are, be part of who you are part of, and we'll find each other, you know, underneath the ground in the grove, the Aspen Grove, you know, in the deep way. But it, it's not about, obviously, we believe that Judaism is true. But I, as a Jewish father, teach my children Judaism because they are Jewish. And this is the path for them to become Jewish and to identify with the people and the history and the destiny of the Jewish people. Beautiful. And it's okay for them to be different. We are different. Everybody's different. That's like, that's what makes it so beautiful. Imagine you have a puzzle and all the pieces of the puzzle look exactly the same. How are we going to get together? What brings us together is how different we are and how we complement each other. We are not here to compete with each other. We're here to complete each other. And therefore, Rav Cook says that, you know, God has, has, I've blessed each and every one of us with a unique talent to force us to work together, you know, to understand that you can do what I can't do and I can do what you can't do. And that's why together we can make this really beautiful work together. Any more, any more questions or comments? 
So our hostages should be returned. Amen. Our soldiers should be protected. Amen. And we should hear no more of these sad, heartbreaking stories about orphans mm-hmm. and widows. And it's just heartbreaking. There's so much, so much sadness, so much sadness. And, you know, and, and we feel that's the interesting thing. I remember my father who grew up in Russia as a child. I remember my father, when anything would come up on the news about Israel, he would break down and cry about people he didn't know. And I, I remember I was so touched by that and I didn't understand why is my father crying over strangers he doesn't know? And I realized they're not strangers. You know, even if I never met this Jew and even though I'll never meet him ever or her ever, this is my brother, this is my sister and we are one. Inzra, um, Rabbi. Alles is ein Inzra. That's right, that's right. Okay, Coltu, thank you for joining us. All the best. Shalom. Love you, Rabbi.